Welcome to episode 23 of the DC Trap, where we talk all the news this week from DC movies, TV, and comics. I'm Tom. And I'm Zach. Let's jump in with the Birds of Prey, as we finally have our Cassandra Kane. According to Variety, Ella J. Basco is in talks to play that role. If Basco doesn't sound very familiar to you, that's because she has not been in a lot of things. She's had several television guest roles, I think maybe six one-off appearances, something like that. So a definite newcomer, relatively unknown uh, I don't even know her age, but she looks relatively young. We heard they were going uh, young for the role of Cassandra Kane. So this is the last real big role for this movie. So now we're, we're really starting to get it filled out. Yeah, it's the last big role to be filled filled in. And they can definitely get started on production and filming and everything. And like you said, they, they wanted to go young with this role. And it looks to be a very young actress. You know, sometimes you'll bring in an older actress to play a younger character but it it looks like they brought in a younger actress this time um and a newcomer just like the director of this film Uh, there's some good i think there's a good balance between good strong established uh talent and then also giving some newcomers some chances as well yeah and by young we don't mean like a 20 year old playing 15 it is she looks to be maybe in the i don't know 11 to 12 year old range or something like that i don't know i haven't seen any seen her in anything recently um but yeah relatively young and there's also a little description that came from the Variety article in the film. Harley Quinn, Huntress, and Black Canary team up to protect Kane's character when she comes across a diamond belonging to Black Mask, a kingpin in Gotham City's criminal underworld. Yeah, so it sounds like maybe, at least in the beginning, she won't have a very proactive role. It'll be just like something kind of happened to her and then they have to protect her. But maybe through the film, she's going to grow up a bit and learn learn some skills to protect herself. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. That's a. Those are some interesting influences. Some good, some not so good there, uh, for for Kane. But uh, I'm I'm really curious how they get brought together, like Harley Quinn, Huntress, and Black Canary, like to protect Kane. I don't think they're just going to be hanging out. So I wonder how that's all going to fit together. Yeah, I think maybe maybe what it'll be is you know Harley, Huntress, and Black Canary all see something of themselves in Kane, something that they they dealt with as a child and maybe that's why they're drawn to protect her um maybe to even keep her from turning into them um to try to have have her have a more normal childhood and then life later after. Yeah, that's a good point and I think maybe Huntress and Black Canary are already teammates or working together and know of each other and then somehow Harley butts her way in and then they work together. I think that's a very good possibility. The article also points points out how Kane has been Batgirl in the past, but that's not really expected in this film, A, because she's pretty young, and also because there is a Batgirl film in some form of development. So I, I don't know how those two are going to cross over or, or fit together, but we assume Barbara Gordon would be Batgirl first whenever, if and when she shows up. Yeah, I agree. I think Barbara Gord- Gordon is the, the more obvious choice for Batgirl, like you said, when she shows up. But that gives a cool opportunity to start. You can start with Barbara Gordon and then maybe she has an unfortunate run in with a villain or something like that and becomes Oracle. And then Kane could step up into the role of Batgirl. I think that would be a really cool thing to develop and something unique. Yeah, definitely. Moving on, uh, there's some Aquaman news. There's a new poster that got released and it's got the little subtitle on it of Home is Calling. Uh, but it's a it's another in a long line of just really really pretty good looking posters for this film we get a really good close look up at both mira and arthur's costumes um it it looks really good yeah yeah it's pretty that's <laughs> that's as much analysis as we have there but they're also not not shying away from the aquaman costume 
anymore. They they really hit it in marketing for a while there, and now they're really showing the full-on orange and green Aquaman costume. So I wonder if that's going to be in a bit more of the film than we thought, and maybe he gets it a little earlier than we thought, and we get to see maybe a couple action scenes of him in that costume. Yeah, which would be really cool because it so far it looks amazing. Like, like you said, it, it took a while to actually see it in the trailer, and I thought maybe that's all we saw. We wouldn't like get the high-quality still shots like this in posters but we've had a couple of them now um and yeah and a lot of a big focus on the the trident obviously too and it it looks really good um and then mira's got her crown on in this picture as well yeah and they they just both look so great like you said yeah and again they're like it's kind of cool because they're they're half in the water and half not in the water so you know obviously playing on the idea that he's half atlantean half human so just little things like that it's pretty cool Yes, that's a good point. Uh, So they also released a behind-the-scenes featurette. Uh, It's about three minutes long. Uh, Not a ton of, like, new news, but a lot of cool stuff, especially if you're fans of these films and you are fans of just the process of making some of these big-budget films. It's always really cool to see how some of this stuff comes together. Um, But something that was really kind of surprising watching this is just how many practical effects and costumes and everything there are going on um there's a lot there's a lot of the the different actors talking about you know how much training they had to do for stunt training for fighting and different kinds of like martial arts and then a lot of times of stuff that i thought was maybe just cgi of them swimming around in water obviously it's cgi like the actual water but they are they're on wires they're in their costumes they're they're actually flying around on rigs and stuff i thought maybe that they were just sitting still and then making it look like they're moving around or something um and then a lot of the fight scenes also there's a lot of real world elements being destroyed and blown up and stuff and uh, that's pretty cool to see yeah absolutely i like seeing all the practical stuff and all those awesome costumes and and world building so much of it that is practical like you said and, and i'm sure a lot of the backgrounds especially when they're underwater will be computer generated but there are a lot of they really built you know sets for atlantis and the underwater battle and things like that and it was cool to see all that and this is just a really well done behind the scenes feature at really cool to see juan and everybody talking normally they release this several minute long behind the scenes feature at where they don't really do anything but this one's got some editing and it has some some interviews mixed in there and just cool. And like we said, more pretty pictures of things like that. I don't think it's, there's anything really spoilery in here, but that's obviously um, other people might disagree, but there may be some minor story things you can pick up on if you piece things together, but nothing that really jumps out or that they tell you or, you know, some weird battle that we didn't know about shows up or anything like that. Right. Definitely. Um, and like you said, the the interviews with the different cast members, that part was really cool too, that I don't really think there's, there's not really much new that hasn't been said somewhere else in interviews, but it's always kind of cool to see it. A lot of times these interviews are just text and it's kind of cool to see them actually talking in video or just to hear him say it in a different way. And Patrick Wilson specifically said that you've never seen anything like this. I guarantee it. Something along those lines. And that obviously gets me excited. And then Jason Momo also talked about what drew him to the character and how he relates to the character kind of being not really accepted in in multiple different worlds so again just really cool yeah then they also played up that part like you said about i think that's gonna be big for them in marketing how the underwater world is so unexplored this is like space except underwater we don't really know everything that's going on down there and it's it's a whole world that we haven't seen visually before especially to this scale yeah so it's coming soon and some people are going to get to see it sooner than we are. That's okay. I don't hate you too much. Five five weeks away, I guess, <laughs> <Right>. for 
for us in the U.S. Uh, let's move on to some TV, and we finally have uh, a new villain for Swamp Thing. Kevin Durand, who has been in Lost and X-Men Origins Wolverine, has been cast as Jason Woodrow, a.k.a. the Floronic Man, a uh, longtime villain in DC Comics, and especially since he was actually around before Swamp Thing was created. So, And then, of course, once Swamp Thing was created, it was kind of a natural fit as a villain. But we now have Floronic Man. Yeah, and it's a perfect villain for Swamp Thing. Uh, they had a, a description for the character. They said, prickly genius Jason Woodrow is a biogeneticist without equal, and he knows it. Brought in to study the unique properties of a small town Louisiana swamp, Woodrow becomes fixated on unlocking the potential contained within, leading to a tragic and monstrous, monstrous consequences. Yeah, so again, you can see how they're playing up whatever is going on, all these scientific studies and biogenetics and all of that that is going to be involved with the Swamp Thing and the mystery behind that and the science and stuff like that. So it's a cool character, cool fit. Um, I could definitely see this being the big bad if, if they want to have one in the first season. Yeah, and I I wonder what his motivation is to be a villain. Like what, because it doesn't really, it says that he's prickly and he's like knows that he's really good, but does, is it kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde situation where once he becomes Floronic Man, then he's motivated to be evil and conquer people? Yeah, I'm curious how they handle it and how they handle his origin and what he's going to look like. Uh, there's been a few different designs for Floronic Man, some good and, and some not so good. Uh, but yeah, he was, Floronic Man was recently in the uh, Batman and Harley Quinn animated movie, if you remember that. And Jason Woodrow, not Floronic Man, but a pre-Floronic Man, Jason Woodrow was in Batman and Robin, played by the fantastic John Glover. So not the not the best track record for movies he's been in for Floronic Man, but still a really cool character that makes a lot of sense to be on Swamp Thing. Elsewhere, elsewhere in TV, we have a bit of a teaser trailer, 30 to 40 seconds for the final season of Gotham. Not a ton of new story or anything like that. I mean, it obviously picks up from the events of last season, but we get to see early bat signal, Bane briefly in action, and lots of villains. I always like how Gotham, I'm, I'm not hating on them, but <laughs> their trailers look great, but they're just flash a ton of villains on the screen batman villains on the screen really quickly and i just think that's funny because it's like look look at all these villains and there's scarecrow riddler and penguin and all of them they just flash them on there and that's a big draw to the show i just think it's really funny yeah and bane's face mask thing sticks out really far it it looks cool but it just it sticks out really far that's all <laughs> it can't be comfortable i wonder if you will Go with a, a Tom Hardy style voice for that or yeah. or what they will do with that. That's that's the big part of Bane. On to the CW, we have some spring scheduling changes that were announced by the network. So after Worlds, the shows will be on a break, but Arrow, The Flash, and Supergirl are going to be returning unchanged. They will be back when they on their normal days and starting with The Flash on January 15th, Supergirl on January 20th, and Arrow on January 21st. But elsewhere, there is some other changes. Black Lightning will be moving from Tuesdays after The Flash to Mondays after Arrow starting January 21st. They will presumably finish out their season, and then Legends of Tomorrow will return in their normal Monday slot in April. So it's going to be a long slot, uh, long break for Legends of Tomorrow. So Black Lightning and Legends will be sharing that spot in the spring. Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't think this... For me personally, it doesn't really change much. I'm, I'm still going to watch all the shows, um, but... I wonder if it will have any sort of impact on the ratings for, for the shows for more casual watchers. Yeah, I don't know. Um, 
we'll see. I think Supergirl and Legends did something similar last year, and this allows this allows them to not have to stagger their DC shows a little bit, which I think is smart, especially because I don't think there have been confirmed episode numbers, but we've seen 16 thrown around for Black Lightning and Legends of Tomorrow, and if that's the case, it makes sense to split them up like that because Arrow, Flash, and Supergirl will have 22 episode seasons this year, so it makes sense to stagger things there. Yeah, it makes sense. And the shows are doing fine ratings-wise. It's always tough to tell now because so much of it's streaming, especially with the CW and their app. Uh, they're all down a little bit, but that is to be expected. So I don't think there's anything to say we should necessarily be worried about any of them. Uh, but yeah. And iZombie will also be returning for the fifth and final season in the spring, but they don't have a date for that yet. Yeah. Moving on, uh, RJ Seiler, who you might know from Power Rangers or Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, has been cast in a recurring role on Black Lightning. So he's going to play Todd Green, the gangly and awkward tech genius who's passed over for a research grant. He doesn't take it well until he gets an offer to join Tobias Whale, which sounds bad. Don't join Tobias Whale. He's he's not a good person. <laughs> yeah, uh, it seems like such a sweet offer for Tobias Whale to, to want you to join his team. I have seen Siler in Power Rangers. I remember liking him. I thought he was pretty good in that. And he, um, yeah, I think it's a pretty cool get for Black Lightning to be on the show. And I'm wondering how he's going to fit in, if he's going to be a villain with Tobias the full time or if he will switch sides or, or what they do with that but i think that's pretty cool yeah is maybe tobias is gonna start filling out like a bigger roster of villains uh, we're gonna start maybe seeing that the big gang of of villains that he's supposed to have and um yeah i wonder what he'll end up doing yeah maybe he gets sick and or gets sick of some henchmen off them and then you know he yeah. always needs to bring in some new talent uh to help him out there in supergirl news hannah james from mercy street has been cast in a recurring role on the show as Maeve now, which is Nia's sister, and then Kate Burton from Scandal is going to guest star as Nia's mother, Isabel. So they're kind of filling out Nia's family a bit, which is is nice. I I'm pretty intrigued by Nia's character. I I've liked what I've seen of her so much, so far. So getting more of her backstory that's cool. Yeah, we've just had an introduction to her so far, and, and I wonder how they're going to fit these characters in. I think it's really cool whenever you have a a new character or an existing character like like James or, or anyone when you bring in their family and show a little bit about where they come from and, and what their life growing up was like. So I'm glad we get to see that for this. And let's talk some Elseworlds. We had our first teasers for Elseworlds as we're getting pretty close to it now, just a few weeks away. And they're, they're just a couple brief snippets by the CW that they released. Uh, the first one is of Oliver and Iris, uh, Stephen Amell waking up in bed and we see he is uh apparently with iris west but he is called barry allen yeah and she's she's finally got those pancakes right <laughs> i love that, <laughs> that that's my favorite part about this teaser that this is obviously in elseworlds because iris can cook pancakes i think right. that's great yeah it's it's funny to see him in this situation and it this along with the other one um the barry and diggle one where they're sparring um makes me think like is it a is it kind of like a Freaky Friday situation where they've just switched lives a bit, but they're in their same body, so not exactly like Freaky Friday. But it makes me wonder, like, because the first one makes you think, oh, they just, they went to sleep and they woke up and they're in a different world. But with Barry and Diggle, it almost seems like they just dropped in in the middle of something. Like, he's just, he's sparring with Diggle and is finding out that he is the Green Arrow while doing that. And so did it just, like, something snapped and all of a sudden they had switched realities it it makes it a little more interesting yeah it looks like i i thought we would be going with 
Stephen Amell playing Barry Allen in his own body. Right. And Grant Gustin playing Oliver Queen. But it looks like uh, they're doing this. This looks like it is Oliver with Oliver's memories and Oliver's body. But yet everybody calls him Barry Allen, which is a, which is a weird way to go about it. But it could be cool. Um, I don't have anything against that. Although I kind of wanted to see the actors play the different characters, um, play their personalities. But maybe we'll see a little bit of that anyway. Um, and it doesn't give us really anything about the story other than we know something weird is going on. And something, you know, the destiny will be rewritten pops up there. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then there is still the question, do they have the, do they have the skills and powers that each other have? Because it seems like Barry has kind of like green arrow strength, but yeah. Barry's also strong. So I, like, is he going to be able to shoot arrows really well? And is Oliver going to have speed force powers? I mean, it looks like that. I assume that's yeah. why they would be in their costumes. Why would, why? Right. Yeah. We know Amel's going to be in the Flash costume and everything, so I, I think that's the case, and that would be weird to see. But yeah, I like the um, ridiculous photo of Stephen Amel's face <laughs> photoshopped onto Grant Gustin's body. That's what it looks like anyway. I don't know if that's it. I hope they leave it like that and don't change it at all because it's just pointing out that it's Elseworlds and something ridiculous is going on. Yeah. Yeah. So these these both were pretty good, and like you said, it doesn't really give much away, but it's just it's definitely intriguing enough that I'm more interested in the, the crossover now yeah i don't know that i can believe barry even with i don't know how many years he spent on the island but i don't think he could block a punch from diggle right in this in this uh reality but it looks cool yeah and then we've got a promo image of tyler hecklin and bitsy tulloch as superman and lois lane from the crossover um and it looks like maybe perhaps they're standing in the fortress of solitude is that what you got from this time I think that's a pretty strong guess from from the background. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be. It could just be any random place. But I think that's the guess. And just looking at it, it's very reminiscent. It kind of reminded me of Superman 2 when Lois and Superman are in the Fortress of Solitude, just from what Bitsy Tulloch is wearing and everything like that. It reminded me of that scene in particular. Yeah, definitely. I think they're trying to draw some comparisons with that. Yeah, which you know what that means. Superman's going to wipe someone's memory probably. Yep. That's where it goes from there. Um, <laughs> but no, I, this is actually a pretty decent uh, photo. Like I, I've said in the past, I'm not a big fan of that Superman costume, but I think this is a relatively good picture of it and looks good. And, and I'm excited to see what Tolik does as Lois Lane. She looks good in the role. But I, I wonder if this means the fortress would show up in the crossover somehow. I don't know how or why or what, or if it's just a cool promo image like we've talked about in the past. Yeah. And then Tyler Hecklin also talked about their relationship his and lois lane's on the show and he said they obviously have a very strong relationship that's been going like that for a while it's deeper into the relationship relationship so there's that comfortability factor and they know each other so well they really kind of have a life together and they've referenced that when superman was on supergirl before that there was a relationship with lois and so yeah we're gonna see them together although there's no there's no uh ring on the finger or anything like that so i don't know um how long they've been together or how far they've they've gotten or anything like that but this it makes sense that they're an established couple since they already have been for more than two years ago on the show yeah that's a good point i didn't even notice about the ring all right well that is all we have for today thanks for listening and we'll be back soon